preaching this morning is called I Am. Amen. And uh, so I just want you all this day, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall be glad and rejoice in it. We are here today for Him, because of Him, and by Him. God is the living God. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. And we are traveling along somewhere in this passage of God's time, but we are not alone. Somewhere in God's time, we are traveling on, living for Him and serving Him. But God is with us, and He will continue to be with us. Amen. If you'll say, God is with me, and now turn to your neighbor and say, God is with you. Amen. Amen. God is with me and God is with you. Praise the Lord. God was with Saul, who was born in Tarsus and is referred to as Saul of Tarsus, simply because he was born in Tarsus, which is no mean city, as he called it in Acts 21 and 39. He was the son of a Jewish family whose descendancy is traced back to the tribe of Benjamin. Romans 11 and 1 says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. His given name, Saul, is a Hebrew name, and he was born a Roman Roman citizen due to the city of his birth. More of his historical background tells us that he was a very well-educated man who was taught by a much-respected rabbi named Gamaliel. He soon rose to a position of some eminence as a Pharisee, and he refers to himself in his epistles to the Philippians as an Hebrew of the Hebrews and as in touching the law, a Pharisee. He was a well-grounded Jew in the law and traditions. All his spiritual teachings would have centered around. Excuse me. Deuteronomy verses six, the chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. This would probably be the reason why he was so much, he showed so much zealousness or had so much zeal in persecuting the church. He was single-minded in his persecution. And the first mention we have of Paul in the Bible is at the stoning of Stephen, where he stood by and those who witnessed the stoning laid down their clothes at his feet. Stephen was the first Christian martyr to be put to death because of his beliefs in Jesus Christ. Of course, we all know that Saul had a very dramatic conversion to the truth. He came to realize that in his persecution of the church, he was persecuting Jesus, who of course is the head of the church. Colossians 1 and 18 says, and he, the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he might have preeminence. So you're wanting to turn, I see people wanting to turn to the Bible in that scripture. It's Colossians 1 and 18, and we'll read it again. And he, the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have 
preeminence. He was a chosen vessel to bear the name of the Lord before the Gentiles, before kings and the children of Israel. And immediately after his conversion, his life takes a new dramatic direction. He fervently begins missionary work throughout Asia Minor and Greece, preaching, teaching, and proclaiming Christ and salvation to the Gentiles and establishing churches. Paul is, has written 14 books that are in the New Testament, and it, it, different epistles to different churches, amen. It was during his second missionary journey, whilst Paul was waiting in Athens for Silas and Timotheus, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city given wholly to idolatry. Because of this, he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons, and in the market daily with anyone that met with him. Certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and because he preached Jesus and the resurrection, they called him a babbler, saying he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods. They took him to Aeropagus, which is Mars Hill, and he began to preach to them. And to anybody that wanted to hear, Paul was willing to preach. In his opening statement, he told the men of Athens that he perceived that they were too superstitious because as he had passed by, he beheld their devotions and found an altar inscribed to the unknown God, whom they ignorantly worshipped. He declared the unknown God is God, the only God, and that God made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth and dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth life and breath to all and gives all things. Amen. He said that they should seek the Lord and feel after him and find him, although he be not far from any one of us. He then made this wonderful statement, which we find in Acts chapter 17, and verse 28, and I ask you to turn there with me, please. I'm, I'm sure many of you can quote it without, uh, from memory, but for in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. To break the scripture down, in him we live would obviously mean that by him we have life, right from birth to, to as we continue to live, we have life that's given to us from God. By his originally forming us and continually sustaining us, we take a breath every single day. It comes from God. We, we take so much for granted, but it all comes from God. Without him, we don't have anything. We are nothing. It all comes from him. And if we can realize that and respect it, and I know that people do, and they give, they give grateful thanks to God. But he not only gives us that life and he gives us that breath, he sustains us continually. These words express very well our constant dependence on God. He is the original fountain of life. And he upholds us every moment. And out of that fountain flows river of, rivers of living water. 
It's living water. It's not stagnant. It hasn't got frogs in it. It hasn't got algae on top of it or anything like that. It's living water that comes continuously from the beginning. Every day and everywhere we stand, right where we are now, living water is flowing to us. Amen. It is alive and it is keeping us alive. Not the living water, but God is keeping us alive. And it's a freshness. He says, I am. That doesn't mean I was. That doesn't mean I could be. That doesn't mean there's a maybe in there. It's I am. It's a perfect statement. It's a strong statement. I am. I am. I am. He is right now. He's in the present. And when we step into tomorrow, we can rightly say, I am is with us. And if we step into Tuesday, we can say, rightly say, I am is with me. Amen. He's always with us. I'm so thankful to God and the wonderful songs this morning. He touched me. Praise the Lord, he touched me. I remember beautifully how God touched me and my journey since that time that he touched me. When I realized that he touched me, there is a difference because God is touching us all the time. He's reaching out to us all the time. But there comes to a time when we have a realization that it's God that's reaching out to us, that it's God that wants to turn our lives around, that it's God who is reaching out to us. Amen. He knows us by name. He knows who we are. He doesn't care what we look like. He doesn't care what we sound like. Amen. He loves us because we are his souls. Amen. He touched me and he is I am. And we move on to move and have our being. This denotes that our continued existence is owed to him. That we live at all is his gift. That we have power to move is his gift. And our continued and prolonged existence is his gift also. In this statement, Paul traces our dependence on God from the lowest pulsing of life to the highest powers of action and of continued existence. This emphatic language expresses our entire dependence on God. For we are his offspring. As God's offspring, we ought not to think that his divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image which is formed by the art and imaginations of man. The times of this ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because there is a day coming when he will judge the world in righteousness by the man that he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul, of course, is speaking of Jesus although he doesn't mention his name. Quoting Paul in the last part of verse 28, it says, As certain of our own poets have said, here he is making reference to the Grecian poet Aratus, who wrote a poem about Jupiter called The Phenomenon, which in part translates with Jove, and Jove is J-O-V-E, and it's really speaking about Jupiter. With Jove we must begin, not from him Rome. Him always praise, for all is full of Jove. He fills all places where mankind resort, the widespread sea with every sheltering port. Jove's presence fills all space, upholds this ball. All need his aid. His power sustains us all, for we are his offspring. And he in love points out to man his labor from above. 
where signs and earrings show when the best soil, when, when best the soil by well-timed culture shall repay our toil, etc., etc., etc. So that was a poem or a hymn, they say, that was dedicated to Jupiter, but it speaks about a total dependency on the God that they believe is one of their gods. Amen. A total dependency from the beginning of life and continuing therefrom. Paul has no problem in quoting material or ideas that were produced by pagans to honor their gods, such as Jupiter, because Paul takes the principle of the written work, which in this case would be the thoughts about the nature of God and his humanity to his relation to humanity, and he applies this to the one true God. Very clever. He was very, very clever. Paul is citing poets well respected by the Athenians, and he brilliantly turned it on the idolatry practiced. Paul has made a case that they have a necessary dependence on this God that they do not know or see. He inserted their own poet statements as an added incentive for them to consider that their worship is wrong and they depend on that unknown God, which is God. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that time, Paul departed from among them. In conclusion, a few men became followers of the gospel preached by Paul, and among them was Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Demarius, and a number of others with them. From his introduction to the end of his sermon, Paul covered extensive truths, arriving at the very essence of the gospel, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without his death, without his burial, without his resurrection, there is no, there is no salvation. That is the gospel. And in that very short sermon, Paul gave it to them, and he brought it right down to the very essence of Jesus Christ. Paul was an amazing servant of the Lord, and some of the characteristics displayed by him are courage, persistence, humility, uncompromising, bold, total commitment, and surrender. We can learn much from him and give of ourselves as servant to Jesus Christ. Through his hardships and sufferings, Paul knew the outcome of a life well lived for Christ. And in Philippians 1 and 21, he said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Here we are in 2015. I've put 16, but never mind. The gospel is the same as it was in Paul's lifetime of service. From AD 31 to AD 66, we can safely say, For in him we live, and in him we move, and in him we have our being. The gospel is exactly the same. That's such a miracle and so wonderful that exactly as Paul preached it, it's what we have today and what we continue in and what we teach and continue and how we are born again because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For in him we live and in him we move and we have our being. We are not independent from God. Even more incredible, we have come a very long way from earlier spiritual giants and servants of God, such as Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and into the New Testament, Peter, John, Stephen, Timothy, James, and many others, 
in God's service. It is interesting to note that in some cases, God changed the names of those called, such as Abraham to Abraham, and at the same time, he changed his wife's name, Sarai, to Sarah. Jacob had his name changed to Israel. The name change usually meant that there was to be a change in the path of the life of that person and the route and the, the direction that they were taking. For example, the, the disciple Simon's name was changed to Peter, which means the rock, and the change that took place was given to him by Jesus. I read Matthew chapter six, 16, verses 18 and 19. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven. God gave him the authority with the keys of the kingdom to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see in the Bible that Saul of Tarsus became known as Paul, but it doesn't state anywhere that God changed his name. The writer of Acts states in Acts 13 and 19, Saul, who was called Paul. And from there on, he is referred to as Paul. If I've made a mistake on that, somebody can correct me, but that's how I've studied it out. So we live in a different time, and there have been many changes between those before us and this present time. But there are some things that have not changed, such as faith. We need to exercise the f same faith as exercised by Abraham and all the spiritual giants and the steadfast followers of God. To every man, God has dealt a measure of faith. Every man is all-inclusive. Nobody is excluded from that. To every man, God has dealt a measure of faith that is all included. So you can tell yourself, I have a measure of faith. I have a measure of faith. And with that faith that God has given us, we need to build on it. You look at the example in the life of Abraham because he was the father of faith. He started out not knowing where he was going, not knowing how long the journey was going to be. He knew nothing, but he knew there was, God was taking him. And day by day, day by day, he depended on God. And day by day, his faith was in God. It's the same as us. We have a lot of mod conveniences today. We have many things in, that our eyes see that we can, we can take and, and use. And it's, it's, it's not good for our faith, that kind of thing, because when we have deep needs, instead of taking them to God, we can go to the shop and buy something, for example. Amen. And, and in Abraham, he just looked to God, but that is our example, and that is how God would have us live. Our faith must be in him. There's not a mod con in this world that can take us to heaven. There's not a mod con in this world that can give us eternal life. There's not a mod con in this world that can pour out its Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon us, and bless us to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Sure, we can go and buy these things. Sure, we can have them, but they're not, they've got nothing to do with eternity. Our faith needs and must be in God continuously. But although we live in a different time, there are some things that have not changed, such as faith. And as I said, we need to exercise the same faith as exercised by Abraham and all the spiritual giants and steadfast followers of God. 
Through faith, we understand that the world's reframed by the word of God. So the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. By faith, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went not, knowing whither he went. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departing children of Israel and gave a commandment concerning his bones. And finally, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the, treasure, the treasures in Egypt. And by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Through faith he kept the Passover, and by faith the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea as dry land in which the Egyptians were drowned. In this present day and age, by faith, we are born again of the water and of the Spirit. By faith, our sins are forgiven and we are cleansed from unrighteousness. By faith, we speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. By faith, our bodies will be changed from mortal to immortal. And by faith, we'll be caught up in the clouds to be with Jesus. By faith, we journey daily Sometimes in hardships, sometimes in great joy, sometimes down valleys and sometimes up mountains, sometimes in drought and desert-like conditions and sometimes in abundance of rain, sometimes resting in the cool of a shady tree, but mostly we are toiling, toiling, toiling. Many times we have questions but do not have answers. And we, con we need to continually build altars of prayer and we need to continually worship God. We have promises from God and we don't forget that we are called to inheritance that we do not know except by faith. Abraham was called to inheritance that he did not know except by faith. And likewise, we are called to an inheritance that we do not know, but we go by faith. Amen. We're very, very blessed. Uh, to have the word of God. The early spiritual giants did not have the word of God or accounts of great men of God to read about which would help their faith. Today we have his blessings because of their example and we think if they can do it, I can also do it. I can continue. I can try. I can press on. They've done it. If they did it before, I can do it. These spiritual giants are human just like me. They're also human beings with their weaknesses and their faults, sometimes with their doubts, sometimes with their fears. But they continued and they pressed forward. And what God set them out to attain has been attained. It's all in God's plan. And you're here in God's plan today. Those spiritual giants are, are human just like us. Amen. And they struggled, and they, 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 but they continued. Some of the changes that God made in their lives were enormous changes. 
and often there was a struggle before the changes actually took place. As with the spiritual giants of the past, God works his ways in me. God works his ways in you. God works his ways in us. We want God's way to be our way as we journey here below. He's working that in our lives. And in a passage I read, it says, the main work of God in us is to clear out debris and clutter and make room for his spirit to take full possession and that we should collaborate with God and be willing to let go of anything he chooses to take away from us. Herein is the battle. Herein is the battle. Amen. If we can be willing to let God take away from us what he doesn't want to be there, things that are hindering our walk with him, things... (coughs) that are hindering our lives in living for him. God knows what they are. We don't know. We don't know. Sometimes we think we know. Sometimes we perceive, amen, but God knows exactly and specifically what it is in each and every one of our lives that would be a hindrance to serving him fully and completely and wholly. And God wants to change that and he wants to take it out of our lives and fill us with the Holy Spirit and fill us with himself in those places. But it's going to take a collaboration. It's going to take a yielding. It doesn't just come. We don't walk into the surface and say, okay, God, here I am. Change me completely. And when I go home, I'm going to be completely different. Sure, he changes. Sure, he works in us. We do come into the surface of God one way and we do leave feeling different. Amen. Because why? We've been in the presence of the Lord. Because why? He's touched us. Because why? His word has spoken to us. And we feel encouragement and we feel strength. And we, we encourage to continue and to go on. And sometimes there's a revelation given to us. And sometimes there's a change in our hearts and our lives that we recognize. And sometimes there's a deep touch from the Almighty God drawing us to a closer walk with Him. But that is in the church service. But in our daily lives, it's going to require prayer. In our daily lives, it's going to require a commitment to the Almighty God where nobody can see us. Not where the pastor can see you, amen. I pray very well when the pastor is here, I promise you. Amen. When the pastor's around and the leaders of the church, amen, I'm diligent and I pray and I give it my all, amen. But when I go home and there's nobody there, am I doing the same? Am I giving it my all? Am I praying with everything that I've got? Am I hungering and am I thirsting for God? Am I reaching out for Him to change me? Yes, I am. I want him to change me. I want him to be more like him. Amen. I want to be pleasing unto him. I want to be a vessel that he can speak to and say, go, and I will go. And I want to be a vessel that he can say, preach, and I will preach. Amen. I want to be that kind of vessel. Pray for that person, and I will pray. That's the kind of person I want to be, and I can be that because God is willing to change us and make us like that for his glory, not for me. But for his glory, hallelujah. Ooh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I can't believe I'm right at the end of my message. I can't believe it. It's 10 pages. Font 18. God knows our every need. And he has promised to provide those needs and provide abundantly. God wants to and is teaching us to depend on him. We need to keep learning to trust in every situation, to trust him in every situation. 
each of us have our own personal and individual journey with God and our own personal and individual relationship with him. Sister Rosemary, he knows exactly who you are. He knows where you live. He knows deep down exactly what's inside of you. He knows what you need, amen. And he's ready to supply that need, amen. Reach out and touch him. Reach out and touch him, amen. When Moses was called to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage, he said to God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And, the God, and God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. This is my name forever, and my memorial unto all generations. Sister Sedenka, would you please come to the piano for us? In this regard to the I am that I am, there's no change here. This is the name of God forever, and this name is a memorial to all generations. Today we belong to the all generations, we belong in the all generations category. We are all generations and we belong there and the name of God is to all, a memorial to all generations. The name implies that God exists and there is none beside him. All that is God's personality and power are owed, owed solely to himself and to no other God. God does not change all the power and energy in the universe flows from him. God comes to us in Jesus. Right from the beginning, he come to us in Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Amen. Let's reach out to God at all times. He's there for us. And to close with the scripture, Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. And because we're thinking of it, Selah says to pause and to think. I'm going to say it again as we think on these words and we pause. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Amen. And Sister Kathy, would you be able to sing this for us, please?